What a treat we've had this morning. Uh, I, uh, there's two things. One is, as someone who uh, grew up uh, with Spanish as a primary language, anytime we have an opportunity to sing in Spanish, uh, it, uh, it just connects with my heart deeply in a way. So I'm very grateful for the youth band uh, to lead us in worship and include some, uh, some songs. And not only my heart language, but the heart language of many folks in our community. It's a way in which we signal here at Chatham Community Church that this is a welcoming place uh, for all who live here in Chatham County. So I'm grateful for that. Uh, and, uh, you know, my heart is just overflowing with joy this morning. Uh, the church tradition that I uh, grew up in or that I first started attending to uh, included young people, uh, people of all ages in all facets of church life. And so uh, I led services. We had sort of one of these um, orders of worship that someone could walk you through even if they didn't sing, which was great because I don't. And so um, I, led, I remember leading my first service at a church, leading people through that when I was maybe 15, and I preached my first sermon at 17 and just was part of church life from a very young age. And so uh, I, I, that's a dream of mine, that that would be true consistently here at Chatham Community Church. And uh, at this fifth Sunday is when our youth get to lead, and not only in worship, but in parking, they're in Chatham Kids, they're greeting us with warm smiles is, I think, first fruits, a taste of that. So thank you so much, uh, youth, for leading us. And Dave and Caitlin, uh, who've been working with the youth to get us to that point, along with the other volunteers. Yeah, let's give them a round of applause. It's beautiful. For those that don't know me, my name is Jaime. I am one of the pastors here at Chatham Community Church. And because I see a number of unfamiliar faces to me, uh, I'll just say that we are one church in two locations. So we have a campus that meets up in North Chatham off of Andrews Store Road. And then we have this campus here, and we're glad you're with us. If you are a guest, whether it's your first time or whether you haven't been with us in a while, I'd love to say hi. So at the end of the service, I'm going to be in the back for a little bit under the exit sign, and then I'll spend a little bit of time outside. Come say hi. Let me know how you found us and what your experience was like this morning, and make sure you get one of our welcome gifts. It's our way uh, to say, to bless you, but also our way to bless local, uh, uh, local businesses who supply or whom, for whom, from whom we purchase the items in our gift bags. Um, this past week, uh, I got the opportunity to watch the trailer for the movie Black Panther Wakanda Forever. It is the sequel to Black Panther 1, and it released this week. And um, a part of what that raises, not just in me, but in people who were fans of the first Black Panther movie, is the reminder that it's been two years since the actor Chadwick Boseman passed away after a battle with cancer that many people didn't know about. He brought to life the character of King T'Challa, the Black Panther, and portrayed him and his, his, in that movie and in other movies in the Marvel Universe, and, and, and it connected with people in a pretty significant and meaningful way. And so his loss was felt deeply, not just by the black community in the United States and around the world, but by people overall. Chadwick didn't have an especially long career, at least not in starring roles, but he packed a whole lot of meaningful roles in that time. Uh, you know, it, it's a testament to what artists and art can do to speak to a culture, to tell a culture's stories, and to invite a culture to remember some of the highlights 
uh, of its life or of its history. Uh, you know, he portrayed fictional characters like the Black Panther, uh, but it was interesting to see his resume and see that in the few years he was in starring roles, he portrayed characters such as James Brown, he portrayed Jackie Robinson, he portrayed Thurgood Marshall. He made sure that key stories of the American experience and the black American experience were told and passed on to new generations. One of the stories that came out after Chadwick passed away, you know, as, as is common when people pass away who are of some notoriety, stories are told. And uh, one of the stories that came out that I found interesting came from Chadwick's time at, uh, sorry, <clears throat> at, in college when he was at Howard University. He and a few of his fellow students uh, in the acting program had auditioned for a prestigious summer program overseas in Europe. It was a prestigious, it was competitive, and this group of students, of actors, of emerging actors, were selected. They were accepted into this program, and as they were excited about getting into this program, they realized that the costs associated with attending this program were beyond what they could fund, what they could pay for. And so even though they had auditioned, even though they had prepared, even though they had been accepted, they were coming to the conclusion that they wouldn't be able to attend. It was the opportunity of a lifetime or the key opportunity in the light at that point in their development, and they were going to have to say no to it. But a mentor and teacher found out about this. She heard that they had been accepted and were uh, sort of on the threshold of not being able to go, and she made a phone call to a friend. She told him about what was happening. It was a five-minute conversation. And after, at the end of the five-minute conversation, the person on the other side, on the other line, on the other side of the call said, it's okay, I got this. And that person funded not only Chadwick's experience, but the experience of his whole cohort of students. Pivotal, a pivotal moment in Chadwick's development as an actor. The teacher and mentor was a woman named Felicia Rashad. And for those of us who are fans of 80s TV show, we know her as Claire Huxtable in The Cosby Show. And the friend on the other side of the call was Denzel Washington. It's interesting to note, right, Chadwick's career, brief, bringing to life meaningful roles in the black experience and in the American experience, was undergirded or buoyed by generosity. The generosity of people like Felicia, like Denzel, who gave time, who gave advocacy, who gave credibility, and who gave financially leaving a lasting impact, not only in the life of Chadwick, but in the life of the people who were able to enjoy and benefit from Chadwick's art. It's a testament to the impact that generosity can have, far beyond what we can imagine or expect necessarily in the moment. This is the last week of uh, a series called Honed, where I've been sharing pieces of advice that have been key in my life and in the lives of people uh, who have heard these words of advice. They have been key in our spiritual development. They've helped keep us sharp, kept us honed, helped us thrive. And from the earliest days that I went to church, I saw people modeling and speaking words along the lines of be a generous person. So that's the word of advice today, be a generous person. But 
Because generosity can sometimes be narrowly focused on finances and on money, I'm going to cheat this week. Rather than give you a word that was given to me, I'm going to share with you the phrase I came up with to remind myself that generosity extends far beyond simply finances, though it includes it. And so the piece of advice I want to pass on to you that's helped me thrive in my spiritual life and in my life in general is to live with open hands and an open heart, to live a generous kind of life. So as we ground this in Scripture, we're going uh, to be looking at one character throughout a series of passages, and we're going to see through him different forms or manifestations of generosity and generosity's fruit. So if you have a Bible, we're going to spend some time in the book of Acts, and we're going to start in chapter 4. If you don't happen to have a Bible, don't worry about it because we're going to project it onto the screen, but we're going to start in verse 32 of chapter 4 of the book of Acts. And here we go. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money uh, for the, from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means sons of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. One of the things that stands out in the early accounts of the emerging communities of people who were following Jesus is that these communities were diverse in terms of socioeconomic status. They were diverse and they were thriving. They were diverse and they were thriving. And these communities thrived because needs were met. The passage highlights this. It paints a picture of a community that is thriving. It paints a community of a community that is thriving because everyone's needs are being met, and everyone's needs are being met because there is voluntary giving so that there is enough. I want to highlight that, that the giving that's happening is voluntary. People are so excited to be part of this community, to see how God is at work, to worship and grow with these different people, that when needs are heard, people step up and meet those needs. It is spontaneous. It is voluntary. And the people who had needs have their needs met, and they thrive. And the people who had resources uh, meet needs, and they thrive. And there is a general thriving going on. There is a powerful move of God, not only in the example that we read here, but throughout the New Testament and even beyond. People are flourishing in a community that is open-handed. And what's true then, or was true then, has been true throughout history, and that is where there is generosity, where there is open-handedness and open-heartedness. People flourish. People flourish and communities thrive. I mean, think of the alternative. Think of communities where people are not open-handed and open-hearted, where people have clenched fists and a closed heart. It might be hard to imagine them because that doesn't seem like much of a community. Things wither in those places. Suspicion thrives. People hoard what they have and maybe don't even let others know that they have it because they are afraid of what might be asked of them or what might be required, where there is stinginess, where there is closed-heartedness, 
there is disconnectedness, where there is stinginess, where there is closed-fistedness, where there is closed-heartedness, things wither, things die. And that's not the case in this community. We see a thriving community. We hear about people flourishing. And to highlight this, the author gives us an example. He gives us an example of generosity in the form of a man named Joseph. And the author of Acts clearly considers him a model of financial generosity. And here's what he does. He sells a field he has and brings it before the church so that it could be distributed to those who have needs. Now, does him selling the field means he gives up all he owns? Probably not. Probably not. It probably is that he saw a need that was there, knew of a resource he had that could help meet that need or contribute to meeting that need and was so engaged with this community that he gave it voluntarily. Does it mean that by giving this field, he then put himself in a position where he was at a deficit, where he maybe didn't have enough? Well, clearly not. Because the passage tells us that everyone in the community had everything that they needed. They had all that they needed. But he clearly did what was his to do in order to contribute to the flourishing and thriving of the community. He played his part. He took on his role. What's interesting to note is that it's not just that he is uh, generous and in financial terms. Note that, the, that within the community, he doesn't go by his given name. He doesn't go by the name Joseph. He came into the community as Joseph. But in his time in the community, he's, got, he's been given a new name. The leadership who has watched him, who has seen how he interacts in the community, has seen a quality of his stand out, and they've given him a name connected to encouragement. They call him Barnabas. Now, this likely means that he was exemplary in his encouragement, that he stood out because of his encouragement. If you're going to give someone a nickname like son of encouragement, it needs to be clear to everyone when they hear, oh yeah, the guy who encourages, that they know who you're talking about, that everyone knows. It's obvious who you're talking about. He was open-handed with his financial resources and was open-hearted with his encouragement. And that type of generosity, a generosity with encouragement, generosity with things that aren't financial is also essential to people flourishing and people thriving. Think about what happens in a community where no one encourages, where no one exhorts, where no one praises, where no one expresses gratitude. We talked a little bit about encouragement last week, so I'm not going to dwell too much on it. But if you missed last week's sermon, you can go ahead and find it online. And if you just want to hear the part that talks about encouragement, it's in the last quarter of the sermon. And I give you permission to fast forward through all the rest if you just want to hear that part. But I appreciate, I appreciate that in framing a community that is thriving and that is flourishing in light of generosity, Luke, the author of Acts, makes it a point to not just highlight the financial generosity, but he highlights a person who exemplified both open-handedness and open-heartedness. To let us know always that generosity is broad, it's all-encompassing, and all of it contributes to a community thriving. Friends, everyone participates and can contribute uh, in the work that the Spirit is doing in building thriving communities where people flourish. What the Spirit requires of us, what we are invited to, is to have open hands and an open heart. 
So before we press on in this sermon, I want to invite you to take stock of how open your heart is and how open your hands are. Not just in finances, but in effort, but in talent, but in skill. What might it look like to live a life with full open hands, with completely open hands, and a completely open heart? Friends, here's why this is crucial. Open hands and open heart aren't just crucial or key so that we can give. We need open hands and open heart so that we can receive. So that we can receive what we need from, the, from God and from the way he's at work in our community. What's the next step for you? Take it this week. Now, a few chapters later, the story has moved on quite a bit. And we start to hear about the man we later come to know as the Apostle Paul. He's entered the picture. And he had developed a reputation as a persecutor of Christians, uh, a very zealous persecutor of Christians, and had even been part or played a role in the death of a follower of Jesus. And he was adamant about persecuting and sort of casting out uh, this community of Christians and sort of wiping it off uh, the face of the, the local area. And, uh, and he had had an encounter with Jesus, and he became a follower. He went from persecutor to follower of Jesus, and he's trying to then integrate himself into the community in Jerusalem, and understandably, he encounters resistance. And here's what the passage says in Acts 9. It says, when he, and that's Saul, who we later know as Paul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him not believing that he was really a disciple, but Barnabas. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly the name of the Lord. Of course they're afraid. Right? He's got a reputation. What if he's a spy? What if he's just trying to root out names of the people that they're not aware of yet? Of course. I mean, if it were me, I would have put him at least on probation. Right? Let's keep you at arm's length. Let's observe you. Maybe in three months, you might be safe. But I'm grateful that Barnabas is there. Barnabas the encourager. Barnabas the man with an open hand and an open heart. And he's heard the story of how Saul met Jesus on his way to Damascus. And he's heard the stories of what Saul did after he met Jesus in Damascus and was transformed by that encounter. And he recognizes that God is clearly at work in this man, that God is clearly doing something. And with his open hands and his open heart, he opens a door for Saul. He brings him before the leadership of the church. He gives him access he provides him with an opportunity. Now, Paul, or Saul, is a sharp guy. He's a good debater. He knows how to make a case for himself. Uh, and so with this opportunity, this door open, it is noteworthy that it isn't Saul who speaks for himself. Brought before the apostles, it is Barnabas who speaks on his behalf. It is Barnabas who pleads Saul's case in order to be brought into the community. And it's all because Barnabas is generous also with his credibility and his advocacy. In bringing him before the apostles and in speaking possibly what Saul would have said for himself, but by Barnabas speaking it on his behalf, it's almost like he's saying, 
Don't make this decision based on what you know about Saul. Make this decision based on what you know about me. Make this decision based about who you know, uh, who you know me to be. He lends him his credibility by getting him access to the apostle, and then he advocates for him. And it changes the course of church history. It gives them an opportunity, not just him, but the entire community, a great opportunity. A few years ago, my grandfather passed away, and in the aftermath of that, I've had conversations with his daughter, my aunt, and in one of those conversations, she told me that she had found out a few years before something that she had never heard about my grandfather. My grandfather and my whole family uh, were avid bowlers. We, We went bowling frequently. We were part of leagues. I was part of a league most of my young life, and my grandfather was the biggest fan of bowling out of all of us. He would spend a time in the bowling alley, not just when he was bowling and in his league. He would get there early and watch other people bowl. He would talk to people. He would stay after he was done bowling and he would watch other leagues and he would sit down and play dominoes with whoever was around for hours and hours and hours on end. And over the years, he developed a wide network of people that he knew in the bowling world. And we found out that what, one of the things that he would do is that from time to time, youth particularly would get the opportunity to represent their leagues or represent the country on international, in international tournaments or in tournaments on the mainland. And those tournaments have costs associated to them. And so when my grandfather would find out that there was a kid or two kids or three kids or maybe the whole team who couldn't afford to go or they couldn't afford the team shirt in order to go, he would oftentimes contribute But then he would go to the people that he knew in the bowling world who had resources. And he would say, you got to give money to this thing. You got to help. We got to help get these kids on this trip. We got to give them the opportunity. People ended up giving to kids they never met and never knew and didn't know and weren't going to meet. But they did it because they knew my grandfather. They knew the type of man he was. My grandfather was generous with his credibility. He was generous with his advocacy. And tens, and given the years that he spent in the bowling world, possibly hundreds of young men and women in Puerto Rico had opportunities to represent their league, represent their country, represent uh, other places in, all, in other parts of the world. They got opportunities of a lifetime because someone was generous with their credibility and advocacy. Many of us have access to circles that others don't and will be heard in situations where others won't. It's time to become aware of that. It's time to be aware that we have credibility in places that others don't, that we have voice in places that others won't. And seek out or sense or be prepared for the opportunities to be open-handed and open-hearted on behalf of others in those ways to be generous with our credibility and advocacy. When next we encounter Barnabas, the message of Jesus is now spreading even more broadly. And and it's not just Jewish communities of Christians that are emerging, but there are communities of non-Jews that are emerging and mixed communities are emerging. And, And there's tension that's involved in that. And God is at work to diffuse that tension. And there's this mixed community of Jews and non-Jews that's developed in a place called Antioch, which is in modern day Turkey. And God is clearly at work there, right? Amazing stuff is happening and word about what God is doing gets back 
to the church in Jerusalem, which let's call it the home base church. And here's what happens. It says news of this, uh, news of, of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with church leaders. <clears throat> Sorry, uh, met with the church and taught great numbers of people. So Barnabas gets sent to Antioch, right? Word gets to the church in Jerusalem and they send Barnabas and he recognizes the hand of God. He knows that what's happening there in this community of mi that's mixed between Jews and non-Jews, he knows that's what's happening there is a move of God. And so he stays there for a while. And of course, what's one of the things that he does? He encourages them because that's sort of part and parcel of who Barnabas is. And then there's even more growth, right? There was already fruit happening. There's already good stuff happening. Barnabas gets there. He's generous with his encouragement. And there's even more fruit. Fruit upon fruit upon fruit is happening. Good stuff is happening. This is a great situation. If you are a minister or are a pastor, this is like prime, a prime moment, prime moment to enjoy and to fan into flame. And so what does Barnabas do as he's put in that spot? He leaves. He leaves to go get Saul, to go get Paul, so that Paul can experience this too, so that Paul can have a chance to be part of this as well. And together, they spend a whole year in this situation a whole year with this community and more and more people end up being blessed. More and more people end up growing. It's noteworthy because stuff like that doesn't often happen. It's remarkable how generous Barnabas is with his availability, his time, his platform, and his success. And his success. He goes from his set place in Jerusalem and spends over a year in this other place because God is at work there and he wants to be part of it. He is the main guy sent by the home, by the home base church. And what does he do? He gets someone else to share the platform with him, to share that sort of leadership spot with him. There is fruit happening that could be credited to him right? Or credit at least to his partnership with God there. And what does he do? He says, come, come, Paul. Let's, let's enjoy this together. Let's enjoy this together. Who does that? Who does that? Who takes a prime opportunity where you can get all the credit, where you can get, rightfully so, he's working there. He's doing work and shares it with someone else. A generous person does that. Paul's had some success already, but this is on another level. This is on another level. Barnabas holds the success he's part of loosely so that he can invite other people in, so that God can get the glory, so that people can grow, so that people can develop. I have a mentor. His name's Martin. And Martin, throughout the years, has been many things, pastor, professor. Um, and one of the things he does is he has a, a company, an organization that does consulting for churches. And uh, he's had a pretty successful run at that. He goes to churches who are under-resourced, uh, and he helps them sort of get back on their feet and grow. And he gets invited to a church. 
that had gone from uh, maybe 300, 400 people on a Sunday morning to 47 on a Christmas Eve service or just after Christmas Eve. They invite him in. They ask him to assess because they're not sure if they're going to be able to continue or if it's time to shut down. And he sees that there's potential. He sees that God's hand is at work there. And this is a great opportunity because it's not very often that you get to take a church that's almost on its last legs and see it come back to life. But he sees the potential. And what does he do? He says, I want to invite other people to come experience this. So he invites uh, men and women who are in their uh, mid to late 20s and early 30s, Martin's in his 50s, 60s, to come join him. He says, I want you to come join me in this as an intern and have the experience that you might never get, which is to see a church come back from the dead. And I was one of those people that he invited, he invited in. And as part of that, he gave us access to him. He said, you have my time, this, this amount set, and as much uh, more as you need. Ask me what you want. Try what you want. Let's, let's invest in you. Let's teach you. Let's grow you. He gives us platform. We preach alongside him. We teach alongside him. We decide strategy alongside him. He invites us to share the fruit with him as the church grows from 47 to 100 to 250 and beyond as they go from zero baptisms in a year to three to five to 10 and beyond. As the church grows from being a footnote in the community to being a place that local businesses know and come to and partner with. When he tells the story, he always talks about it as a we thing. This was not something that he did. This was something that we did together. He shares the credit. He shares the success. He is generous. And it made a difference in my life and in the lives of the people who were with him during that time as we developed. In the midst of this passage that we just read about Barnabas, there's, there's a phrase. It's a phrase that's easy to look past because it seems so common. It says about Barnabas that he was a good man, full of the spirit and of faith. God's presence in him and his love for God were noticeable. And calling Barnabas a good man might seem like the obvious thing. Of course he's a good man, right? Based on everything we've heard of him, what else would we call him? Of course he's a good man. Here's why that's noteworthy. That term, good man, is used only in two other ways in the New Testament. It's used to refer to Jesus at one point. Jesus referred to as a good man. And it is used as a virtuous example. So it's a figure. A good man or the good man does this or thinks this or acts in this way. The only other person who is referred to as a good man in the New Testament is Barnabas. Is Barnabas. And it is noteworthy not just to the people who he's with, but to the writer of this book. Barnabas, the encourager, the generous man, is a good man. Friends, open-handed and open-hearted people stand out. They stand out because they model an admirable life. People who are open-handed and open-hearted live the kind of life that people look at and say, that is the good life. That is what it means to be a decent person, a good person. We want to be like that. They model the life that people can and could live if they chose into generosity. Generous people are noticed. They're looked to. They set the example for others to follow. Now, we're not going to read any more passages, but I want to highlight one last thing about Barnabas. 
later on in their journey, Barnabas is going to bring yet another, right? Barnabas and Paul start going on journeys all around. And Barnabas brings in an even younger guy, a younger guy to be part of this. And later on, Barnabas and Paul are going to part company. They're going to part company because this younger guy drops the ball on one of their journeys. And Barnabas wants to give him another shot. And Paul's like, I don't think so. I think we need to play it safe. And so they part company. Barnabas sticks with the younger guy, wants to keep developing him. Later down the line, something has happened in that younger guy because he's joined back with Paul. Barnabas was generous to that young guy and he got another shot. But in the meantime, here's what Paul does. Paul takes what's probably a peer, maybe someone just a little bit younger, less experienced in ministry, and brings him on board and takes him with him for a few trips. And then later down the line, he picks up this even younger guy and brings him with him. And this younger guy gets opportunities. He has doors open for him. And Paul is so invested in this guy that he writes him letters. We know these as 1st and 2nd Timothy. And what's noteworthy about 1st and 2nd Timothy is that they're full of encouragement. Right? And encouragement is not the first thing you think of if you've been in church for a while when you think of Paul. But his letters to Timothy are full of encouragement. Does this sound familiar at all? It's Barnabas's fingerprints all over the rest of Paul's life, even after they had parted company. See, friends, what's true is that generosity multiplies. Generosity spreads. It has outsized impact. Barnabas was crucial. Barnabas was a great minister, clearly had a significant impact, and he invested in Paul, and Paul had an even greater impact. And Paul invested in Timothy, and Timothy had an impact. It spread beyond. It multiplied and spread. Generosity leaves a trail of blessing in its wake, far beyond what we can imagine, far beyond what we might even intend. That's why it's worth it to be open-handed and open-hearted. I heard a story recently about a man who was in a jam. He was in a tough spot going through a crisis. He, and his finances were okay, but he could only do enough to meet his needs. And friends found out about this, a couple that he knew found out. And they found out about uh, something nice that he wanted to do but couldn't afford. It just wasn't the right time. He couldn't afford it. He was in a tough spot. So they decided to pay for it. And they let him know. And he did the thing most of us do when someone tries to give us a gift or something nice when we're in a tough spot. He was like, no, no, no. You don't need to do this. I don't really need that. You know, I have enough to cover my needs. I can do that later. And they said, you may not remember this, but when we got married, you cut us a check that was far larger than what we thought you were capable of cutting. You gave us a large gift. And we tried to tell you that you shouldn't give us this gift. And you told us, I'm doing this now because today I'm in a position where I can. And that stuck with us, they told them. And we've tried to carry that on the rest during our marriage, in our lives, in our interactions with people. And so today we're doing this for you because today we're in a position where we can. Now what's noteworthy about that is not that the blessing came back on him. That's, that's great. That's wonderful. What's noteworthy is that that generous act has spread. It's multiplied. It changed that couple's perspective early in their marriage about what it meant to be generous people. And it's, and it's impacted the people that they've been generous to. And who knows how many stories have happened that he might never hear about. Friends, generosity leaves a trail of blessing in its wake. So friends, the invitation today, once again, is to live with open hands and an open heart. 
I'm going to invite the worship team to join me on the stage, and I'm going to pray for us. And as I pray, I want to invite you to consider once again what it looks like for you to live with open hands and an open heart. And I want to invite you to be concrete. I want you to think of what, it, what it's going to take for you to open your hands just a little bit more than they are now. What it's going to take to open your heart just a little bit more than it is now. And what it's going to look like this week. And as I pray, commit to doing that. Let's pray. Gracious God, the model of open-handedness and open-heartedness is you. You have been generous with your love, with your mercy, with your grace, with your forgiveness, with your favor to us. Thank you, God. And you've been generous with your resources. Lord, thank you for all the ways your generosity and the generosity of people have blessed us. Thank you for all the ways generosity has left marks, traces in its wake in ways that we've benefited from. Lord, Lord, we've placed us here to bless this community, to be part of life and thriving and flourishing, not just in our church, but in Chatham County. We want to be open-handed and open-hearted people. We want to be an open-handed and open-hearted church. Show us what it's going to look like this week to be just a little bit more generous in what we have, in who we are, and how we engage. And Lord, may we do so trusting that when we're generous, we're not going to run out, but we'll be part of the cycle or of the community where everyone's needs are met, including our own. In Jesus' name, amen.